Well, this morning we're finishing up our series, Famous. I like that graphic, by the way. That's good. Uh, and we've said this uh, last couple of weeks, that you will be famous for something. Every single one of us, you may not realize that, but you're going to be famous for something. But here's the catch. Uh, by the closest someones in your life. You may not be famous on the big scale, but you will be famous. You will be known for something. You will be remembered for something by the closest someones in your life, whether it's your spouse or your kids or friends, the people that you do life with. Perhaps it's the people you work with. But you and I, we will be famous. And so as a result, we have to ask this question, what do you want to be known for? I mean, honestly, what do you really want to be known for? What do you want the closest people in your life to remember you for? Like when they sit back and they think about you, what do you want them to think about? Here's what's so amazing, because we miss this in the hurry and the hustle of everyday life. What we miss is this, that the decisions we make, the responses that we have, determine how the closest people in our life will remember us. This is the legacy that we leave. In fact, we've done this for three weeks. This is the third and final week. For some, the application for you this morning is simply to answer that question. You've heard it. By now, you've got it memorized. What do you want to be known for? But actually stop and sit and take some space and write it out. If you're married, what do you want your kids to remember you for? If you're, if, or, or your kids, if you're married, yeah, if you're, if you have married, what do you want your wife, you got what I'm saying, uh, or husband, if you're single, how do you want your closest friends, maybe it's your people at your work, but what do you want to be known for? Here's what we want to be known for, at least as a church, for us at Awakening, we want to be known as a worshiping community. That, that is not just a group of individuals coming in. And by the way, you were worshiping this morning. That was beautiful. I get to kind of just hear you over there. And I just was so ministered by you. Uh, but a community that we're a body together of passionate Jesus followers. That, that, that's our aim. We want to be more, become more and more like Jesus who walk by faith, who are a voice of hope, and who are fundamentally known by love. That's, that's how we sit down as a community, as a church, and answer that question, what do we want to be known for? How would you fill in that question? And last week, we added this little clarifying phrase, and if you didn't hear it, I would encourage you, please, please, please go back and listen to it, awakeningchurch.com, and we talked about, and why? Discovering your white hot why. What do you want to be known for, and why? Because why infuses your everyday, ordinary activities with meaning and purpose. Why is the vision for your life. And so how we answer it for us at Awakening, our white hot why is we exist to awaken this generation to Jesus. That, that fundamentally... The reason we want to be known as a worshiping community, not just having great worship, but as a worshiping community who are passionate Jesus followers, isn't just so people go, woo, cool. 
That church is awesome. No, no, no. It's so that, so that, what is your so that, by the way? So that we awaken this generation. We're geared towards reaching those who aren't part of this church, who aren't part of church, reaching a generation that for some isn't your generation. All too often, the church reaches people and it misses a whole demographic. It's really the demographic between 18 and 35, especially in the Silicon Valley. And we said, we're going to start a church for that. Now, let me just real quick, and I, I can't spend too much time here. But for those who aren't in that demographic, let's just say if you're over 35, you know, if you right? why, why this should matter to you. Let's just say if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, I don't know. <laughs> why that should matter to you. And why that's our white hot why. Because if you're, if you're 50, 60, 70, if that's where you're at right now, don't you want to leave the church in a better place than when you found it? Don't you want to pass on the legacy of leadership and raise up the next generation of leaders? Isn't that something that you can get up for? Isn't that something you go, yeah, that's why, uh, you know what, I'm going to be part of something that isn't necessarily the music that I like. Because they're a generation that desperately needs to hear the love of Jesus. And don't you want to leave the church in a better place than when you found it? And if you're in your 30s and 40s and if you're in the kind of family stage of life, you're going like, why, why, do, why do I want to be a part of that why? Well, don't you want to be a part of creating a church that your kids love for a lifetime and not just a time in their life? You get to be a part of that. You get to help shape that. You know it's good when people go, ooh, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's when it hits. Sorry, I couldn't. Everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> I couldn't pass that bone. Statistics on those who grow up in the church by the time age 18, 80% walk away. And do you know why? There's a lot of different whys, but fundamentally, there's so, so much is that we haven't passed on a faith that's actually contagious or compelling. And don't you want to be a part of a church where your kids get to see 20-year-olds worship Jesus that is relevant as they grow up and they always feel like they're a part of the community and the church and they're not sidelined to a separate room? See, this is why this matters. This is our white hot why. This is what we want to be famous for. As a worshiping community of passionate Jesus followers, why? To awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. That's the reason people got up early this morning and set up. That's the reason there's cafe out there that is above and beyond where you get free verve coffee, amen, and you get pastries and all those sort of things. Hallelujah, right? That is the reason why there's a group that is out there welcoming and there's groups that are meeting midweek to grow. This is why we exist as a church and started it four years ago. And I'd invite you not to run past this series and go, yeah, maybe I got inspired and a little bit motivated, but it was a blip in my life that I moved on. Would you take time and answer the question, what do you want to be known for? And why? Imagine, imagine if you had a crystal clear mission statement for your life, a crystal clear vision statement for your life. Why do we let companies have that, but you don't have it for your life? 
and you write it out. And the purpose and direction where you begin to live each day on points. Where you don't waste the life God's given you. This morning, as we close, I want to simply talk and let us talk about the distinctive mark. The distinctive mark of a life well lived. I asked my wife if that was too long of a title and she said yes. I went with it anyways. But every single one of us has distinctive mark, right? Uh, it's something that is recognizable, that is immediately recognizable. Um, it might be the car you drive, might be your distinctive mark. It might, it might be the color of your hair. You know, maybe you have blonde hair like me or maybe red hair. It's a distinctive mark. Uh, it might be um, the color of your skin could be a distinctive mark. It might be um, maybe your dress. Maybe you're incredibly hipster and that is your distinctive mark or maybe you're incredibly dad mode you know and that is your distinctive mark I don't know what your distinctive mark is but your family knows what your distinctive mark is your friends know because they can tell you from a mile away hello there you are you're that person because that's your distinctive mark some of you even have like a birthmark that's their distinctive mark uh, last year right around this time I shaved my head. Do you know what my distinctive mark is? Not from here down. <laughs> Nobody notices that. That's probably a good thing. But from here up. I shaved my head, and I remember the next day showing up uh, to Awakening Sunday morning and waving to people and having them look at me like, who is this freak? They're like, what are you doing? In fact, my wife looked at me and she said, you just need to know you look meaner. <laughs> and, and I kind of wrestled with that. Does that mean I look normally mean? You know, and now I'm just a little bit meaner. Is that, is that how that works? Or, I mean, I look meaner. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you're right. But do I look tougher? Is that, so I just wanted to know, do I look tougher? A little Vin Diesel action there. <laughs> I mean, nobody noticed, like, my kids, I showed up, nobody noticed me. Actually, one of my kids cried, in fact, when I shaved my head, like, literally, literally cried. Now, a little bit later on during the year, I've shared this before with you, um, I, ever since I can remember, so could grow it, at age 15, I had, a, was a spitter or a soul patch, I grew up in Santa Cruz, in the South, they call it a dip lip, because you can pull on it and put your chew in, um, <laughs> That's a visual for you. Uh, and, and ever since I was 15, I had this right here. I shaved it. Now, I thought, that's part of my look. That's part of my distinctive mark. Showed up on Sunday. Not one person noticed. My wife didn't even notice. She's gone. She's gone. Now, here's why this is so important. There are some things that we don't realize are a distinctive mark until we take them away, and then it's like a shock. There's other things that we put a whole lot of weight in and a whole lot of uh, energy into, thinking this is what makes us us. And when it's gone, nobody noticed. It actually wasn't our distinctive mark. 
See, the question before us that I think is so important for us to ask is what is the distinctive mark of a life well lived? Where you go, okay, what is that singular mark that stands out above them all? So that we don't unintentionally raise something that has a competing mark and put all our weight into that only to realize at the end of life, it actually wasn't the mark of a life well lived. In fact, do this for me. I just want you to think about three people, if you know, three people in your life that have lived life well. Three people that you respect that have lived a length of life, that have had a personal impact on your life. You got it? Chances are you'd say something along the lines of they were incredibly faithful, they were loyal, they were present. They, they, they had such a kindness about their eyes and they were always there. Chances are you might say, wow, they were just filled with such wisdom. And, and the way they treated their coworkers or the way they treated their employer or the way they entreated their employees or the way they treated their kids or their family or their friends, I just saw a consistency of life. And if we had to boil it down, even though we all would probably say, we think of three people say a number of different things about marks of a life well lived. It actually, and we know this, this isn't going to be rocket science. This isn't going to be revolutionary. This isn't going to be brand new. We all know this. But we boils down to one singular word. The distinctive mark of a life well lived is, anybody? No? Love. Love. That's it. It's, it's, by the way, as simple and as difficult as that. Now, here's what I want you to notice. If you have Bibles, you can flip them open to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul says it. And what's problematic with this passage is it's gotten hijacked by every wedding in the world. <laughs> and so as a result, it's lost its, like, Oomph, you know, because we kind of throw it up and chalk it up. Oh, it's, those are those sweet words that you say at weddings, but nobody really means <laughs> because, well, we've all seen what, you know, people in the honeymoon stage are like, but eventually they'll come down to real life and, you know, get to what's going on. But it's nice. these are nice sentiments. I don't believe this was intended to be nice sentiments. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says, starting in uh, verse 31, actually, of chapter 12, just right there. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. In the New Living Translation, it says the way that is best of all. And now I'll show you another way to say it. The distinctive mark of a life well lived. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, just let this sink in. Hang on. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, if I have 
faith that can move mountains. Those would be considered some pretty great distinctive marks, I think. But have not love, what does it say? Read it with me. I Just let that sink in for a second. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I think that would be a distinctive mark of a life well lived, don't you think? I obviously can't say that five times fast. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship, in fact, some of your translations say surrender them to the flames because that was literally what was happening to the early Christians who stood out for their faith. But do not have love. What happens? I gain nothing. The distinctive mark of a life well lived is that of love. 1 Corinthians is the love chapter of the Bible, if you will. And in John, the Gospel of John, you see yet another kind of love chapter. And if you, if you do, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip over there. But John chapter uh, 13, verse 34, Jesus says this to his disciples. Many of you know it. He says, a new command. And we know that it's not new in the way that it's a brand new. It's new and qualitative of how it's supposed to be lived out. A new command I give you. Here it is. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. So the way that we're called to love is not love in the way the world loves, not love in the way we want to love, love the way Jesus loved. Now, by this, distinctive mark, by the way, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you, help me out. Anybody know it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 that's good. Sadly, the church has, I think, substituted our distinctive mark. We've substituted for perhaps religious adherence. I go to church, I sing the songs. What a good boy am I! Maybe we substitute, I know for sure we substitute it with, with theological accuracy. Right doctrine. And don't get me wrong. See, this, this list, which is so powerful, there's nothing wrong with the actions, right? It's just the absence of one singular ingredient. That changes the what's. Remember that we talked about in week one? The what is always informed by the how. And sadly, we can say our distinctive mark is right doctrine, right information. We have the right way. And yet it is devoid of love. And what the apostle Paul would say and what Jesus would say is you've missed the distinctive mark. That somehow moral purity, and that's important, don't get me wrong, but moral purity is not to be the distinctive mark of the church of Jesus Christ. How we love others is to be the distinctive mark of the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you. I, just, I knew I, I could count on Mike. 
Listen, the absence of love renders the actions devoid of meaning. The absence of love renders the actions devoid of meaning. The distinctive mark of a life well lived is simply love. Well, what is love? He goes on to define it. Love is patient. Love is kind. That might have been one of your list of what you came to your mind when you thought about a person who lived life well. Well, they were so patient with me. He was always so kind. She was always so kind. Then he's going to tell us what love is not. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor people. Ooh. I wonder what that would look like in our social media world, by the way. <laughs> we somehow relegate love to this, and yet now we have phones that bring us here, and we kind of think whatever we do out there, it's whatever we want to do. And it says, no, no, no. You know what love does? It never dishonors people. Never. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor you every single Time. It is not self-seeking. Ouch. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Someone's marriage needed that. <laughs> Just saying. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It tells us what it is, what it's not, and then what it always does. You know what love always does? You ever thought about always? This is what love always does. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. The distinctive mark of a life well lived is one of love. Not just any kind of love. John 13, 34. It is loving the way Jesus has loved you and me. Now, if you're like me, there's this internal tension. There's a problem with what I just talked about. The problem is, that's great, but how do I actually do it? I'm kind of overwhelmed. I just like reading that right there, you know, doesn't boast, is not proud, doesn't dishonor people, love is kind. Just this morning, I'm talking with my wife and we're talking about stuff. I had two unkind things come out of my mouth and I'm teaching on love. Oh, Lord. So where do we begin? Just earlier in Corinthians, Paul has this incredibly profound yet simple statement that I think is the nucleus for us to begin. And he says this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. In fact, uh, one translation says this, knowledge makes us feel important. But love strengthens the church. Now, here's why this is so profound. Insecure people always will push others down to push themselves up. 
Insecure people will always push others down in order to push themselves up. And this is what we do when we're insecure with knowledge. We try to gain information and things that give us the upper hand so that we feel better about ourselves. And by the way, you just need to, when the minute you embrace this truth, this is going to be so good. It'll help change your life. Every one of us is desperately insecure. So now you're free. You can admit it. I'm insecure. Okay, I am too. But the minute you embrace that and you go, okay, you know what? My security, then I have to address. Where am I finding my security, my identity on what I know, what I do, or on who I know and what he's done? See, think about this. God's love isn't based on you. It's placed on you. And so as a result, you are able to freely love because you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. And the great challenge before you is to find your identity in Jesus. The great challenge before you every single day is to wake up and remind yourself you are beloved by the God of the universe. And as a result, you're secure. And you know what secure people do? They always build others up because they don't have to push anyone down. You're secure because God's love isn't based on you. It's placed on you and you can't do anything to earn it. And so as a result, you're secure to love and you can build others up and you can walk today and go, how can I build you up? How can I build you up? How can I build my coworker up? How can I build my spouse up? How can I build my friends up? How can I build you up? Why? Because I'm secure. Because I'm loved. I'm delighted by the king of the universe. Notice how this operated in Jesus' life, by the way. Back to John 13, 34. Because that as I have loved you has a context. The context goes back to a picture that many of us are familiar with, with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It says in verse 2 of 13 uh, that having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Well, hang on. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. You're right. In this moment, what Jesus was about to do was to show what a king does who's fully secure for those who would follow him. And Jesus, by the way, did for his disciples, what his disciples were unwilling to do for their rabbi. Get up from the table, take off his outer cloak, wrap with a towel, take on the posture of a servant, and then wash their feet. And he says, now go do likewise. But do you want to know the context? This is so good. Verse 3, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his weight. Based on his identity being securely founded in who his father said he was and who he was, he was able to take off and serve others because he didn't need the affirmation of his disciples. He didn't need the applause of the crowd. He didn't need to prove that he was worthy because he already was declared worthy. 
a great challenge before us. That, that little line, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It, it all of a sudden becomes this, this litmus test in your life, by the way. This litmus test for how secure am I? Because if I'm starting to push others down, if my words are starting to tear others down, what it reveals is more about you than them. And you go, oh my gosh. Get my identity. Get my identity back on you. I am loved. And you know how you take that next step? Build someone else up. You just build them up. You go, okay, how can I serve you? You want to develop love? Get your identity and begin to get your thoughts daily. Just go, man, I'm going to remind myself daily. But you actually have to step in and begin to serve others. And as you build someone else up, you all of a sudden realize, I have more than I need. I am beloved. I am delighted in. I am a son and daughter of the king. The minute you serve, you realize, oh, wow, this is the distinctive mark of a life well lived. This is what God has called me to do. And you just simply take the next step. In fact, I love how Dallas Willard said it. Dallas Willard's a really uh, incredible thought uh, leader in the Christian world. Died a few years ago. But if you ever want to read some of his books, it'll take you a year to get through. Brilliant, brilliant guy. But he has these little simple one-liners. He says, you know, when, when you get lost, when you're not really sure what to do, spiritual formation is this. Simply do the next right thing you know to do. Sometimes we try to complicate and so sit on our hands. I don't know what to do. Just do the next right thing you know to do. You simply ask, how could I build you up? How can I build my kids up? How can I build my coworkers up? How can I build? How can I serve you today? And that is the distinctive mark of a life well lived. We want to actually not just talk about this, but apply this today. Outside, there's already some people starting to serve this campus. When we start, started meeting here four years ago, we had this little catchphrase. It said, this is more than a place to meet, but a people to love. We believe that with our whole heart. There's things that we try to do throughout uh, the week and the semester to do that. One real tangible way is for us just simply to go roll up our sleeves and serve. And so I just simply want to not, if you didn't come prepared, and some of you look really pretty, um, so <laughs> maybe hopefully you have a change of clothes, but, um, but that we would go do that. That where we would go and just simply love this campus where we would go, you know what? We'd love with no strings attached. And so I just want to invite you uh, as we close and I'm going to pray and then I got a couple announcements. But would you simply go, okay, Jesus, how can I embrace my identity so that I can serve others? And that you just start asking this question every day. How can I build you up? And we get a chance to actually do that together. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this time. Thanks that your love isn't based on us, but it's placed on us. And as your beloved and as being so well loved, we can love well.
God, I, I get that all of us are desperately insecure. And so I ask that you would, you would just infuse new life, new honesty, new clarity. That every single person would be completely aware of your great love. That the, in fact, they would just be overwhelmed by your love. And as a result, God, the distinctive mark of each individual and of this church wouldn't be that we just know the right things, but how well we love. In Jesus' name, amen.